0: is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
1: G'day there, my name is Matt Brand, welcome to the program. Australia's cattle herd is set to reach its largest size in nearly a decade. Now what could this mean for cattle prices? We'll talk about this soon. We'll also visit a territory station that's using artificial insemination to put Wagyu genetics into their herd. And saved by a helicopter you'll hear an epic territory story today of getting through a flooded road
2: although oh geez here's the end of my new car it's going to be floating down the creek but we were lucky enough to be guided by tom and his um helicopter he's basically hovered over where the deep bits were and told us where to go and basically saved us i think
1: There's a video of this up on the ABC Alice Springs Facebook page. Go and check that out. And John Little's story on the Country Hour very soon. Speaking of flooded roads, there is a flood watch in place this afternoon as we go to air.
3: Floods can happen in a flash. That's why you need a proper emergency plan in place. Learn more about the history of flooding and flood warnings in your local area. Check your insurance. Have an emergency kit ready to go and identify an evacuation route and shelter for you and your family. Prepare, act and survive with ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Your emergency broadcaster.
1: Yeah, so a flood watch has been issued for central inland parts of the Northern Territory. Catchments likely to be affected include the Tanami Desert, the Barkly, and Central Desert. Now, according to the Bureau, widespread rainfall totals of 20 to 45 millimetres, with isolated totals of above 80 millimetres, are expected today. And further rainfall totals of 40 to 80 mils, with isolated falls above 100 millimetres, are possible tomorrow on Wednesday across that flood watch area. These rainfall totals will continue into Thursday though the focus for the heavier falls will move into the northeast east and western Barkly districts. Rainfall, of course, may cause significant water level rises in rivers and creeks and prolonged overland flooding and ponding from Wednesday, and roads may become impassable. Some communities and homesteads may become isolated. Check road conditions before travelling. We will be speaking to the Weather Bureau at five past one to get... The very latest, but at the moment, yes, a flood watch in place for central inland parts of the Territory.
4: G'day, I'm Jermaine.
1: G'day, I'm Caleb.
4: And we're from from Territory Territory Bees. We're out here in Darwin's rural area attending to some hives and you're listening to The Country Hour. Australia's
1: cattle herd is set to reach its largest size in nearly a decade, according to Meat and Livestock Australia. MLA has today released data showing that the herd is expected to hit 28.8 million head this year. So what is driving the rebuild and what could this do to prices? Here's MLA's senior market analyst, Ripley Atkinson.
5: 2023 will be a year of transition for the cattle industry and, and quite an optimistic one. So the retention or the record retention of animals on farm in 2022 and and parts of 2021 is driving that increase we see eventuating secondly it's the genetic improvement, which is affecting productivity of the national herd, and then also the medium-term confidence that is a product of of ample availability of water and grass for producers. And those three key factors, when you bring them together, are underpinning that increase in supply that, that we expect to eventuate uh, well into 2024.
6: If the largest size was back in 2014, what were the cattle prices doing then? And is there a trend that we can anticipate with pricing and herd numbers? In line with the
5: the increase in supply we we expect in 2023, we we also, uh, and industry analysts have also forecast that the cattle prices will return to operate at longer term averages. And because of that, there's there's differing dynamics between the necessity to demand cattle in the market, because producers have rebuilt their numbers, they have the availability of stock on farms. So there's not as much demand. But... Regardless of that, those longer term averages still promote really positive pricing environments for producers uh, right across right across the different articles of animals that, that Australia delivers to both the domestic and global market.
6: And can we forecast what some of those long term average prices will look like? Yeah, so in 2023,
5: the forecast for the benchmark Eastern Young Cattle Indicator uh, is for it to reach 811 cents a kilo carcass weight. By the middle of this year 30 June 2023 and then importantly the introduction of the national feeder steer indicator which represents a transactable article of animal in the market is forecast to reach 419 or 420 cents a kilo live weight so even though those prices uh, are a step down from from the record years of 2020 to 2022, the, the feeder steer price would still remain 33 cents or 8.5% above the five-year average, and the Eastern Young cattle indicator, if it reached 811 cents, would still remain 61 cents or 8% above the five-year average as well. So. The market forecasts still remain optimistic and positive for an improvement in prices from current rates and they do forecast that they'll remain above longer term averages as well.
6: How does that then position the Australian beef industry in the global supply chain?
5: 2023 will be a very interesting year and a very closely followed year in the sense that the situation involving the herd liquidation and potential supply contractions in the US because of the drought will determine uh, the US flipping from a net exporter to a net importer because their domestic market is so big. And as a result of that, that'll mean Australia's market share in line with rising production can improve in key export markets such as Japan and South Korea and then also the US as well which really bodes in a positive light and promotes a lot of optimism for the cattle industry to deliver that high quality consistent beef to three of our major markets around the world due to that US supply contraction.
6: And when we are looking at challenges, how could the labour shortage derail a top herd performance like this?
5: Labor issues in the processing sector will be sort of the key determinant of cattle slaughter performance this year. And as a result of that, um, MLA's recognised in their forecast two scenarios. The first scenario for cattle slaughter is based upon 6.6 million head being processed, and that's, that's with the expectation of normality and actual cattle supply being delivered into those facilities. If the processing sector can't deal with and negate their current labour issues, the forecast is for cattle slaughter to reach 6 million head. And that's firm on 2022 numbers. So there's no real change in or any improvement in cattle slaughter figures, despite the fact that the herd's continuing to rise. And that will cause issues for the industry right across the supply chain if the labour concerns the processing sector is facing can't be negated or dealt with.
1: That is Ripley Atkinson from Meat and Livestock Australia speaking to Demetria Penagetiaris MLA today predicting that Australia's cattle herd will hit 28.8 million head this year, the largest it's been in about a decade. It is 22 to 1 here on the Country Hour. A cattle producer in the top end of the Territory is using artificial insemination to put high-grade Wagyu genetics into his herd of Centipole cattle. You know, Nitsaforo owns King River and Middle Creek stations near Catherine and hopes his trial can expand and create a range of benefits for his business. Max Rowley went to check it all out, starting in the yards with local vet Amy Trembath.
7: Uh, just getting ourselves ready, gloving up. So You've got to be nice and clean, then we'll have a bit of a feel. My name's Amy Trembath. I'm a veterinarian and we are doing the fixed time AI for some of Nino's heifers.
3: So take me through what, what you do.
7: Uh, so at the start of the program, we preg test them. Anything that's pregnant obviously doesn't have to join the program. Um, and just for anything too small or not, not looking very good, that sort of stuff, then we use a few different hormones to get them cycling at exactly today. Um, so they come in the first day. We put some cedars in and we give them some hormones. They come in a week later, we take the cedars out and that sort of kick-starts them to ovulate. They get some more hormones and then today we turn up with all our outrageous gear and um, we... uh,
3: These big tanks with... um, (laughs) Can you explain this to me?
7: Yeah, so we've got the um, big nitrogen canisters so they keep the semen really nice and cold uh, so we can store it for you know, as long as we want to. Uh, we bring those out. We have a special little heater that we heat to semen up to uh, 37 and a half degrees. Uh, and then we each cow comes in, we have a feel, make sure she's cycling, look for all the signs. And if she's ready, then we put it in a pipette, put a cover slip on it, and then um, pass it through her cervix <laughs> and hope she gets pregnant.
3: How common is it for producers to do this in the top end?
7: Not very common at all. We get a few uh, that do it every year. And, and when I say a few, it's literally two. <laughs> um, this is Nino's first time, so hopefully he wants to do a bit more. Occasionally, we've had a cu- like bigger stations, and we do, you know, we might do two or three hundred. But I'd say Pete's probably done, oh, maybe three of those lots in the last twenty years. It's it's pretty rare.
3: Why do you think that is?
7: I think it's mainly logistics. I think it's just the numbers that they'd want to do, and being able to put them all through the yards, you know. You, most of the time it's three times for an AI program. So you put them all through the yards three times and then you do the AI process, which is a bit slow. Um, so, yeah, I think just logistics.
3: And what's next for these cows then, um, if all goes to plan?
7: Well, if all goes to plan, um, they'll. I think Nino's got some bulls he wants to put in with them, but we, we give them a bit of a break so that the next cycle is when the, the actual bulls will get them. Um, so that if we preg test them... Uh, we'll know which ones were AI and which ones were to the bull. Uh, but, yeah, we'll preg test them sort of in the next eight weeks and then we'll be able to tell whether we got lucky or not. Yeah, and if we did, we'll jump up and down and celebrate.
3: Right, so you'll still put the balls in with them, though? It's, isn't... Yeah.
7: yeah, because there'll be a percentage, you know, whether it's 30% or whether it's 60% that we get, um, there's always going to be those leftovers so that Nino's not spending a lot of time waiting for cycles and he misses his calving window, um, at least the bulls are out with them and they, they'll get any, any of the ones that didn't catch.
3: And what is the success rate like?
7: It's pretty low. Um, 30 to 60% we often get, for heifers it's probably more like 30% just because they haven't cycled before, they haven't had a calf before we get a bit, a bit better with cows um, and there's often cows that we do every year that get pregnant every year to AI. They just love it for some reason.
8: I'll let you get back to it. Thanks, Amy. Yeah, hi, I'm Nino Nichiforo. This is all new. This come about by the fact that we've got um, Centipole cattle at the moment, and there was a large interest in those at the um, Royal Alice Springs Show. Uh, we sent six decks down there, and they got the second highest dollars per kilo, and the response was really good. Now, I've been doing that for probably 12 years. Uh, and then someone suggested, why don't we look at doing Wagyu cross centipoles? And um, so that's how the AI program come into play.
3: Right, because it's quite rare for producers to do AI in the top end. Um,
8: why did you think it was worth a shot? Because the um, straws that we bought are the highest grade uh, marbling. That way we can get consistency. Obviously, when I've put them on grain, I need a... A large number to justify the costs and it'll become uniformed so that is probably why we went um, the AI way as well as the bulls. Where have those genetics come from? Uh, They've come out of studs out of New South Wales and again the marbling is about a seven so it's really high marbling um, straws that we've got so these will give us the best wagyu's possible. How many cows or heifers are you putting through the program? I'm aiming for 500. Uh, We've just done our first 40 to see how that went, and that went really, really well. Um, Hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have 500 heifers AI'd. And what do you hope to, to get out of this then? It's another avenue in case something happens with live export. As I said, we've actually had a lot of interest already. I've got stock agents inquiring about them already, and it gives us another avenue. At the end of the day, I think we need to diversify
3: is it more expensive for you to, to take this approach?
8: Oh, definitely. Uh, the expenses, of course, when they wean us I'm going to be putting them rations and we'll be feeding them to make sure they get the, the best care because that's what Wagyu needs is a lot of care and that's what we're aiming to do. So yes, the expenses are quite high. So what will you need to get out of them to, to say it's paid off? Well, hopefully uh, what they're all quoting us is $10 a kilo. So if we can achieve that, I think we've done well. As I mentioned, you
3: know, AI is pretty rare in the top end. But do you think we'll start to see more of this
8: in the years to come? The problem with AI, and that's why we're going to be um, checking these guys in, in six weeks, the um, success rate is very low. If we got 55%, uh, that's, that's a good start. And so I've got four Wagyu bulls to go in with these 40 heifers to pick up where the AI left off. So that is probably why AI is not very successful. And it's a long program. It's over three weeks, the program is. So you've got to have small paddocks to bring them in, take them back out, and you've got to monitor them and so on. So it doesn't work for everyone? No, no, you've got to have... Yeah, that's right. It's a smaller setup where you can bring them in and out and and monitor them. Yeah, big, large scale is very difficult to AI.
3: And you're trying this at the moment, but how long do you think you'll stick with it?
8: Yeah, it's definitely going to be at least a three-year program to see actually if it's viable. So... um, this is just the start, so another couple of you know, another two more years after this year and uh yeah, and we'll see if we if we can increase the herd from five hundred. But if not, we'll sit at five hundred.
3: We'll have to check back in with you and, and see how it goes, Nino then. No worries at all. Thank you.
1: Nino Nisiforo from King River and Middle Creek Stations in the Top End. He's also a mango man. He keeps himself busy, Nino. And we also heard from local vet Amy Trembath. It's a quarter to one. You are tuned into the Country Hour. Matt Brand with you this afternoon. Now, imagine driving down a remote road when all of the sudden, because of storms in the region, the remote dirt road turns into a raging river. Well, this is what happened to John Little in Central Australia the other day. And his story of what happened next is an absolute beauty. He'll share it with you next after a bit of Chris Stapleton. Right across the territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. A helicopter pilot has saved the day helping to guide vehicles through a flash flood on the Ernest Giles Road in Central Australia. John Little from the Iltajari outstation was on his way to Alice Springs when all of a sudden he came across what he says was a sea of water on the Ernest Giles. He says he heard chopper pilot Tom Edmonds on the UHF. And what happened next, he reckons, was a classic example of bush people helping each other out. Here's John to tell you the story.
2: Well, we're coming back from our homeland on Tempe Down Station, so as we drove along we could see water on the side of the road and we thought, oh geez, it's going to be a bit slippery. But as we get a bit closer to the meteorite craters There's about 10 or 15 k's from the bitumen we thought oh yeah here we go goes through one big pool goes through another then we uh along the way we could hear on the UHF um someone in the chopper saying oh I'm going to guide you through I'm going to guide you through so then I got on the radio and I said hey mate we're about 10 minutes behind you can you hang around and do the same for us and he was lucky enough to do it and as we get closer we could um see why he was actually guiding his staff through there was this sea of water i reckon would have been at least a kilometer long and at the entrance it was about or oh, i reckon four foot deep it came over the top of my bonnet of my toyota so thought, oh geez here's the end of my new car it's going to be floating down the creek but we were lucky enough to be guided by tom and his um helicopter he's he basically hovered over where the the um deep bits were and told us where to go and basically saved us I think.
1: Wow, so you're in your vehicle. You got the helicopter overhead. Yes. You and the UHF. Yep. And a, have to do about a kilometer through water.
2: Yeah. Wow. And it was deep. So uh we know the area. We go over it, you know, all the time. We're quite regular visitors on that road. And um he was basically hovering over where the the uh, deep bits were. He said, no, go to the right, go to the left, go around here. And I reckon it got us through. I don't mind telling you, I was very worried, very worried. There was a sea of water. So, um, yeah, scared the hell out of us.
1: Yeah. And so is this what water... That would have been coming out of what? The, the Palmer, the Fink? Whereabouts are we on the No,
2: map? it was basically a big storm had gone through, I reckon, maybe an hour or so before we got there and it was just running off the sides of the the flood outs there, the watercourses, and it was heading into one direction where the the road um, basically goes. So the road was a, a river and it was um you know, coming rising as we went through it and you know, there was, I reckon, would have been the share of rain, maybe two or three inches. So it was just a massive downpour.
1: How did it feel to get to the other side?
2: Oh, mate, I think I had to change my jocks when <laughs> got out the other side. But it uh, was scary. My, my wife and I were in the car, and I looked at it as we were going through, and I think she thought, oh, this is the end of us, but... Um, you know, basically the ground underneath was very firm. It's uh, quite a hard bit of road, but just the amount of water, and we didn't realise how 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 deep it was in some areas.
1: Did Tom from Henbury Station up there in the air, was there any stage where he felt you should turn back?
2: No, you know what? He was um, very reassuring. He said, yeah, yep. keep going, t- keep going, keep going, go to the left, go to the right. So he was a calming voice, and he'd come and hover in front of us where the... The uh, deeper bits were and kept walking us through it, basically. So I don't know how we would have got through there without his guidance, to tell you the truth.
1: You've probably seen the centre look beautiful and green before, but what about the amount of water getting around
2: at the moment, John? Look, it is amazing. You cannot believe how much water is out there at the moment. Even driving along the bitumen back to Alice Springs, um, 60, 70 k's out, there's pools of water in the Sand Country. So, um, you know, the, the amount of rain that's fallen over the last couple of days has been amazing. At our place, 80 k's in, we tried to go for a bit of a drive after the rain, as you do. We got bogged within half a kilometre from our place. So um, the ground is saturated, absolutely saturated. So as soon as you get off the road, down you go, I think. Well, and no. from our place, we you know, we know how to drive through um, wet roads and that sort of stuff but it was just amazing we could could not believe it it's i think i'm still shaking a bit from the experience yesterday so when are you expecting
1: to be able to get back home
2: well we're going to wait a few days definitely so most probably by the end of the week because i think there's been more rain in that area and i think it's been forecast so um you know we just have to be a bit aware and a bit careful now and I think I'm still trying to drive my car out to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: this, all this rain, all this water—what do you hope it means for your for your homeland's country?
2: Well, we can see the the native grasses have just really blossomed. The t- trees have got a new life about it. You can smell the the country feeling good, you know. And um, I'm sure we're going to get. Um, a lot of trees um, flowering and that sort of stuff. But I said to my wife, I, sp- I suppose in about a month we're going to be overrun with flies. So um, whenever there's um green, green pick like this and around about March, April is when the flies come out. So we've got to be ready for that.
1: <laughs> and in case he is listening this afternoon to, uh, I guess, Tom at Henbury, well done and thank you, I guess.
2: Yeah, good on you, Tom. You're here, hero, man.
1: That is John Little from the Jerry Outstation in Central Australia. And John actually took a video of crossing that sea of water with the helicopter hovering just above. You can check it out for yourself if you head along to the ABC Alice Springs Facebook page. It's a beauty of a video. Lots of people enjoying it. Uh, Liz on Facebook says, Good old country cooperation. Eric says, Good on you, Tom Edmonds. There's a few people saying, well done, Tom, great stuff. Ben says, that road is as scary as when there's been a good bit of rain. And on the text, Keith says, I've done that road as my driveway in the 90s for a couple of years. Very lucky that Mr. Little didn't end up in one of those media craters, says Keith on 0487 991057.
9: G'day, I'm Angus Kidley Baird. I'm the Senior Animal Proteins Analyst with Rabobank, and you're listening to the Country Hour.
1: Matt Brown with you this afternoon. It is back to school for so many Territory kids today. An exciting day. It can be a bit of a nervous day for some kids. But how good, hey, getting to go along and see all your mates after a long school break. But of course, for some students, today you don't get to see your friends. You don't even get to be in the same room as your teacher. I am talking about School of the Air. So what's that like on day one? Being at home and doing all of your school via the internet? We'll be catching up with Annabelle in a moment. Annabelle is from Margaret Down Station on the Sturt Plateau. She's just had her first day of year one via School of the Air. What was it like? (laughs) She'll tell us very soon. Uh, Just before the one o'clock news, we heard that epic story from John Little of driving down the Ernest Giles Road and all of a sudden the road just turned into a river. Uh, That video is up on the ABC Alice Springs Facebook page. Uh, This is what it sounds like. Just driving through a sea of water with a helicopter just above telling him where to go via the UHF people in the bush keeping each other safe that's a good story that one good story if you miss john's tale it'll be on our podcast and yes the video is up on the abc alice springs facebook page let's go to the weather bureau billy lynch is there this afternoon and uh, billy let's talk about this flood watch that is in place for central inland parts of the territory what can you tell us good afternoon matt
10: um, so very similar story to yesterday, that the weather pattern is we've got a trough laying across the Tanami district, uh, extending across the, the northern Simpson district, so roughly from larger Manu down to Javois. Uh, weak tropical low at the moment, also near Halls Creek. So that trough combining with tropical moisture is a good setup for heavy falls. Um, we did see in the 24 hours to 9 a.m. A rabbit flat come in with 83 millimetres and a lot of that came in a two to three hour burst mm. uh, a larger manu also came in with 42 millimetres the forecast is definitely focusing around the tanamai district the flood watch you mentioned that's still in place so the details haven't changed since yesterday so still affecting the tanamai central desert so that's papanya Yundimu, as well as the barclay district um, chance of seeing around 20 to 40 millimetres widespread today, possibly like the rabbit flat total we saw last night, another type of fall like that today, so around the 80 millimetres or more. Tomorrow is probably looking like the wettest. So right. I guess mm-hmm. we could say tonight into tomorrow is looking like the, the wettest period for the Tanami, where we're expecting widespread 40 to 80s and, and possibly some falls in excess of 100 millimetres this is big rain for these regions absolutely at any time and then obviously Mm -hmm. this is on top of some very wet um, catchments already as well so yeah, flood watch in place from wednesday onwards we are going to start to see a northward contraction of the rainfall as as a new ridge builds into southern mt just online, Stuart Weir is reporting 84
1: millimetres in the gauge at Amaru Station there in Central mm. Australia and uh, 77 reported at Wait River Station, Big Falls and more to come. I've got a text here from Steve at Eda Farms. So this is outside of Catherine, Billy. Uh, he says, yep. Matt, when are we going to get some decent rain? Only 592 yeah. millimetres so far at his place.
10: Yeah, so things have quietened down a little bit across the top end um, because of that trough over central uh, NT. So we're just expecting isolated shower and storm activity across the top end today and tomorrow, but um, that trough is moving northwards and is going to move into the top end from Friday. So um, it's still not a certain situation, but uh, as that trough moves north, we are... Well, we are certain that the monsoon is going to redevelop um, from around Thursday, Friday. Right. Uh, it's looking like a weak monsoon, though, um, so we're not expecting strong winds with it. Um, we're not expecting widespread heavy rainfall either, but it will increase across the top end from around Thursday. And the
1: Madden-Julian Oscillation, the MJO, where, whereabouts is that at the moment?
10: It's in the Indian Ocean, the sort of central to eastern Indian Ocean. So the monsoon itself at the moment is extending across Indonesia, Mm -hmm. Sumatra, Java kind of area. There's a tropical low near Cocos Island. There's another one that's trying to form south of Java as well. So that's where it's all happening at the moment. But the next week or so, the Madden-Julian Oscillation moving through our region. Great. Okay. Anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon? Not at this stage,
1: Matt, that's all. No worries. Good to hear from you, Billy. Have a lovely afternoon. Thank you, you too. Uh, Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau, just looking at some of the rainfall figures for that 24-hour period. And, yeah, it's central Australia that really sticks out. You've got uh, Altunga with 13 in the gauge. Territory Grape Farm, 21 millimetres. Indiana Station, 67 in the gauge and 22 recorded at the gardens. Mm -hmm. Nominations are now open for Farmer of the Year, with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or
3: someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au, proudly supported by the Kandinen Group and ABC Rural.
1: It is 11 past one. Have a listen to this. Oh, that is the sound of a large, very noisy flock of budgies at Alambi Station to the southeast of Alice Springs. There's been heaps of them gathering at waterholes at the station over the last few weeks. Alambi's Paddy Weir spoke to Rowan Barwick about these budgies making a beautiful but fairly loud scene.
0: It's pretty spectacular, especially how they're flying um in formation like a big whirly wind almost
9: it really is and so loud <laughs> i
0: know <laughs> i know and it was it was the morning of australia day and it was really hot and i think because we went down there a bit later in the morning when i say late it was only about eight thirty or yeah. something um there was just so many of them it was fantastic
9: well they look absolutely beautiful so this was just taken at the what the waterhole the creek just at the back of your place
0: yeah, there's a little dam and um, it's not that far from our house at all. It's probably uh, l- less than 500 metres, I'd say.
9: Right, so could you, can you hear the budgies from your house as well as they are uh, in these huge flocks going overhead?
0: You sure can. So as long as you're outside you can hear them because the as you can appreciate it's pretty
5: quiet out
0: here apart from the noises of the birds (laughs) Um, but yeah they're fantastic look we've just gotten so used to seeing them in huge numbers it is still really exciting and like you said they're beautiful to look at and The noise is something else.
9: It really is. It's remarkable. So tell us how it's been over the last little while, because obviously we've had such a wet summer right across the Northern Territory, and, you know, the desert is in full bloom, everything green everywhere, and obviously the birds are absolutely loving it. So, I mean, have you had pretty consistent budgie numbers over the last little while? Because, I mean, to be honest, it's been pretty wet for a couple of years, hasn't it?
0: It has been wet for a couple of years. You do notice the budgies disappear a bit when the water dries out. So obviously, you know, you need that water laying about in dams and waterholes, etc. Um, remarkable summer, so humid, mm. which I'm not really used to, but I'm certainly enjoying and appreciating the cooler temperatures, the cooler um, maximum temperatures, uh, The only disclaimer about the lovely big rain is up until this weekend, a lot of the stations south of us had actually missed out on the big rain.
9: Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, so they've... I know that there's been rain around for them over the weekend, so I'm really happy that the rain's getting shared around a bit.
9: Absolutely, yeah. It sounds like it's a bit more widespread now, which is a really good thing. So the budgies, obviously those huge flocks of uh, budgies as they're coming down, they're having a bit of a drink in the waterhole and then they're um, in that huge flock going up into the sky and as we heard just before, so very loud. Have you been spotting other birds as well? Has it uh, become a bit of an aviary out at your place?
0: Yeah, look, we're so lucky. We get to see... So many different birds all year round. Usually in summer, they're attracted to the house because of the sprinklers mm. being on. You know when it's really hot and dry. Um, but yeah, the only the the only thing that disrupted the budgies the other morning was a hawk would do a big old. Fly by oh. through there, <laughs> just flocks.
9: to let, just to let them know who's boss, eh? Hey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, look, it's a very exciting um, in terms of season. It's an exciting start of the year for us.
9: So good. Now, you're doing some quick maths uh, just before we came to air. Um, do you know roughly how much rain you've had since the start of the year? Yes,
0: yeah, so we're up to. Um, hundred just over 120 meals since the start of the year, which is fabulous. Yeah. Considering our annual average is only 250.
9: That's amazing! Amazing. It is
0: amazing. Yeah. And
9: have you had any access issues? Like, have you had the road cut a couple of times, or have you been able to get into town when you need to?
0: Yeah. Look, it hasn't really affected access because it's not been, you know, huge um, floods. And I think what mitigates the runoff is the fact that there's plenty of grass and ground coverage anyway. Yeah. So it sort of slows the water down. Um, And look, our rule is generally, if it's raining, we just stay put.
1: That is Paddy Weir from Alambi Station speaking to Rowan Barwick, Central Australia. Full of water and full of life at the moment. I was driving past Colgra the other day, late afternoon, and with the sun hitting some of those distant ranges. And every now and then you could see big flocks of these budgies. It is an incredible sight. 16 past one, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Let's turn our attention quickly to the resources sector. Core Lithium, which runs that lithium mine on the outskirts of Darwin, has released its activities report for the quarter. Dan Fitzgerald's been having a read. Much to, much to tell this afternoon,
4: Dan? Uh, well, yes, yeah, so the quarter we're talking about uh, ends on December 31, and the company was hoping to have its first shipload of lithium uh, leave Darwin Port in that quarter. Uh, we, we might remember the ship was actually loaded just before Christmas, um, but then all the rain came and the monsoonal weather, and that ship didn't actually leave Darwin until January 4th. So um, its first shipload didn't happen in that quarter, um, but Call Lithium still said it's um, still got plenty of cash on hand, $125 million, which doesn't include the proceeds of that first sale, uh, which was received in January. Um, And there was also a note in there about the weather. Um, Because of all that rain, um, there has been some impacts on the mine site. Uh, The company says there was an accumulation of a significant volume of water in the base of one of its pits. Um, It goes on to say that engineering solutions to monitor pit wall stability, improve dewatering and allow mining to continue safely in periods of high rainfall were implemented during that quarter and continue to be improved. Um, And it says the impacts of wet season on mining volumes will be assessed in the subsequent quarter. Uh, It's also been doing a bit of drilling um, in spots adjacent to the mine and it's had some promising results there.
1: As we get aware this afternoon, shares in core lithium are down 4.8%. It is 18 past one. It is the first day of school for so many Territory students. What's it like when your first day of school is at home, on the internet, doing school of the year? Annabelle, who's in year one, will tell us all about it next. Right across the Territory on the ABC and streaming online, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Now, today is back to school for kids around the Territory. I know in the Brand household, there was plenty of excitement, a few nerves about heading back to school. But imagine having your first day of class and not being able to see your friends face to face and not being able to be in the same room as your teacher. This is, of course, what happens for many bush kids doing School of the Air. Now, Annabelle is from Margaret Down Station in the Sturt Plateau and has today started Year 1 via School of the Air. Annabelle, welcome to the Country Hour. Tell us about Day 1. What did you do?
11: We had our online lesson and then we done some... We've done a game of cards, and now we're just doing, like, like a lot of numbers, 100 to 120.
1: You've learned how to count up to 120?
11: Yeah. Wow. And I saw my classmates.
1: So you don't get to, to be with your friends, but you could see their faces on the computer screen, could you?
11: Yeah. And... Uh, we didn't meet our new teacher now, but but we did get a different teacher. And her name's Miss Jess, but she's not our teacher.
1: Okay, Miss Jess. She's,
11: yep. She's just like she just teaches us for one day because um our teacher just got married.
1: Oh wow! So so your teacher just got married and is probably on a honeymoon. But she'll be back soon, will she?
11: Yeah, she's going to be back next week.
1: And what are some of the things that you're really excited about this year, Annabelle, doing grade um, one?
11: I'm really excited about doing books, and I'm really excited about learning about face. I'm also excited to do drawing.
1: Well, I hope you have the most wonderful year at school, Annabelle, and thank you so much for your time on the Country Hour. Is your mum, Jess, there?
12: Um, yes. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much. Hi, Matt. <laughs> You've got a wonderful little person there, Jess.
12: <laughs> yes, she's been very excited about starting school. We've been counting down the sleeps until school starts.
1: And um, what's School of the Air like at your end, Jess?
12: Um, It's great, yeah. um, We really like it. It's yeah, I think it's a really, you know, great way to educate your kids. I mean, we don't really have much other options out here, but it's really good. Um, The teachers, like you know, they're they're all really lovely to the kids, and they're also a great support. I mean, we have a home a home tutor to help with teaching Annabelle. Um, So yeah, you know, the school's very supportive of. Um, helping helping them learn their job as well, I suppose. Like a lot of a lot of the girls I get are school leavers, so they're quite young and have quite a big job to do.
1: Mm. Yeah, it was it easy finding that governess? Because I feel like on Facebook I'm seeing a lot of stations still putting the ads out there and looking for someone.
12: Yeah, it is. It's um, it is, no, I wouldn't say it's easy. It's actually a hard role to fill, and um, yeah, it's hard to find the right applicant because. Um, that's, you know, going to fit in with your family and your lifestyle and, yeah, want to live out here and, I suppose, take on the challenge of of teaching the kids. And, yeah, it is a big role. Like, they do have to, you know, they're not qualified as teachers, but um, they do a really good job of, yeah, trying to, to to deliver all the, you know, curriculum and go through all the schoolwork and get it all organised for them. So it's a big learning curve for them as well.
1: Yeah. And are you able to paint a picture for us of, of that moment, first day of school, and when all of the, all of their little faces come up on the computer screen so they can see each other? What's
12: that like? Oh yes, they're very. They get very excited, and then they um, they all like to wave and say good morning. They normally get on a little bit earlier than the teacher, so they can all have a little <laughs> chat before the teacher gets on.
1: As do kids in town, I guess. You drop them off early and they hang out in the playground. This is the school of the air version of that, I guess.
12: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: And so uh, in terms of the year ahead, when's the first big uh, trip into town where everyone can meet up face to face?
12: It's the last week. So yeah, the last week of term, we all go into Catherine um, and they'll do their in school in Catherine for the week which they all love and get very excited about, yeah. Yeah. Um, they get dropped off at the school for the day and, yeah, get to experience, you know, going to going to school and, yeah, being like a normal school kid, I suppose.
1: And just finally, how is Margaret Downs looking at the moment?
12: Oh, it's looking great. We have lots of green grass and, yeah, no, it's looking awesome. We've had a really good wet season, so we just hope the rain keeps coming. Yep.
1: A big day, a busy day. Thank you so much for sharing some time for the Country Hour. Really appreciate it.
12: Thanks, Matt.
1: Jess Carones, and we heard from Annabelle as well. They're from Margaret Down Station in the Sturt Plateau. School of the Air is back for 2023. And I see on the Isolated Children's and Parents Association's Facebook page for the Northern Territory. It writes, We hope that all students returning to school today have a fantastic school year. Particular mention to new families starting the primary and secondary adventure and new home tutors beginning their teaching journey. The first week nerves will be present, tired kids on Friday, and no doubt a few tears, says the ICPA of the Northern Territory. (laughs) It is time now in the country hour to head to the sale yards. we all the latest prices from Roma. Here is Errol Luck.
2: Good afternoon. Roma Rages penned 5,276 head at their weekly store sale, with the cattle drawn from northwestern New South Wales, far western Queensland, and the local supply area. All the usual processes were present, along with the regular feeder buyers, plus a large gallery of restockers. At the time of this interim report, only a handful of lightweight steers had been sold, The prices mirroring last week, with the top selling to 5.96. Yielding steers in the 200 to 4, 280 to 400 kilo range, again to restock, is selling to 564, and heavy yielding steers defeated sold to 446. Full mouth bullocks to process average 244 and sold to 346. Young bullocks to process are sold to 355 and average 346, with the growing steers in the 500 to 600 kg range, again to process selling to 362. Heavy bulls to process and sold at two ninety, with lightweight bulls to restock is selling to four eighty six. This has been Errol Luckman, the National Livestock Reporting Service.
1: Thank you very much, Errol. Uh, Meat and Livestock Australia today has put out its forecast for Australia's cattle herd this year, tipping it to get to 28.8 million head, largest size in nearly a decade. That's it for today's Country Hour. Keep it rural.